Welcome to the No More Risk Better Accredit Sites podcast. I'm Winnie Caesar, the Global Head of Strategy. And I'm Zach Griffiths, the Credit Sites Senior Investment Grade Strategist. As strategists, we aim to make sense of the macro and the micro, highlighting opportunities and the risks facing the fixed income markets. As important as the macro call may be, we understand that credit investing at its core comes down to keen single name selection, and we at Credit Sites benefit from the expertise of our team of over 100 analysts across the US, Europe, and Asia. This podcast offers a look at the conversations that we have with our analysts on a regular basis. If you are an investment professional focused on the wide universe of fixed income, you'll want to give this podcast a listen. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Credit Sites podcast. This is Winnie Caesar, Global Head of Strategy at Credit Sites. And today I am joined by my right hand man, Zach Griffiths, our head of macro and US investment grade strategy for Credit Sites. Zach, thank you for joining me on this day of the PPI print. Happy to be here, Winnie. It's been a big week, so we got plenty to talk about, which is great. We certainly do have plenty to talk about. We have actually been making the rounds, talking to a lot of clients. And this week has been wild because we had the CPI print earlier in the week, a little upside surprise there, retail sales, then not quite as hot. And then PPI feels like a big upside surprise. And yet everyone we talk to is thinking pretty positively about the credit markets. And risk assets have not nearly gotten beaten up to the extent that I would have expected, especially credit spreads. So Zach, are you surprised that this move in treasury yields, this re-bear steepener that we're seeing across the curve with the 10-year now at 4.31% as of our recording time, are you surprised that nobody cares? Certainly in terms of, I guess what we're seeing today is more of a bear flattener with the front end moving higher and really a big adjustment in expectations for Fed rate cuts. And so, Winnie, obviously, we've been telling clients that when we had gotten to about 160 basis points of rate cuts priced in, I think that was a late December, early January timeframe that we kind of hit those peaks in rate cut expectations, that that was way too much. And it was interesting to see how our call for 100 basis points beginning in March started out very dovish and then became, in terms of timing, maybe spot on with the market and in terms of magnitude, more hawkish than the market. And that's completely unwound. So when I think about the data this week, certainly an upside surprise on both CPI and PPI. So that's a little bit more concerning, but looking at recent inflation data from a more holistic perspective, I think is is certainly a little bit more balanced. The January print so far, I'd add in the ISM prices paid for both the manufacturing and services indices to the more concerning side. And But we also had more encouraging prints on the downside in terms of the GDP price index for the fourth quarter. That came in the lowest since Q2 2020. So during that COVID timeframe, the employment cost index, which is one the Fed likes to look at in terms of understanding how much labor from a holistic perspective is costing companies that surprise the downside as well. And then the PCE deflator, which obviously is all important for the Fed, and we won't get the January numbers for another couple of weeks. There have been three consecutive downside surprises there. So it's easy to get wrapped up in the most recent data prints. And I think when the market is so focused on 
the pivot and what exactly the Fed is going to do and the exact timing of that first rate cut, it's, it's easy to do that. But overall, Winnie, I think it's fair to say that the world hasn't changed in, in just a week, but there are some concerning signs for us to, to keep an eye on. Is there anything in there that you saw and, and maybe kind of moving away from the inflation data a little bit, what stuck out to you in these client meetings? What are the key takeaways? Any surprising questions we got from your perspective? Yeah, I think that the biggest takeaway to me that was a surprise was the relatively sanguine reaction to the volatility on the inflation data and in the treasury market and the universal view that credit is going to be well bid and supported by fund flows because yields are so elevated. And so we have this pretty significant shift for a lot of the investor universe looking at at credit as a spread product rather or as a yield product rather than as a spread product. And that is typical of high yield. You know, high yield only becomes a spread product when high yield yields are, you know, three or four percent like they hit in 2021. Now that they're seven and a half to eight percent, even for some of the higher quality stuff, people are excited about that. A, a good opportunity to put cash to work. Forward returns for high yield once you get north of 7% on a yield worst basis are historically pretty strong. So that feels attractive. Investment grade, similarly, you know, we haven't spent much time in the past decade plus in that 5 to 6% all-in yield range. And so you have that firm underpinning of institutional demand from the life insurance companies. And we also have the significant help that we've already done a lot of the heavy lifting moving from a 2% yield to worst on the index to a 5.5% yield to worst on the index. So the view of you know that carry that you can get for you know just sitting in IG is pretty attractive. That being said, why would you not just buy treasuries, right? Like if spreads are super tight, if so much of your all-in yield is related to that underlying treasury, why wouldn't why wouldn't you just sit in, you know, T-bills or in the 10-year? Why are you actually putting incremental cash to work? And I think some of the recent performance across the market just kind of underscores how having that extra spread is actually really helpful for portfolio performance. Uh, so it's been interesting to me that people are, you know, seeing really strong deal execution, seeing strong demand for credit, and thinking, you know, this is just the way it's going to go, even when we've had a little bobble on the economic data cooperating. Because a lot of that demand is also predicated on anticipation of the Fed cutting, right? Like, the demand really picked up in November and December of last year when we started to see evidence that inflation was coming down. And so if the inflation data don't cooperate, start to go the other way and scare people, well, then we have a whole new story on our hand. And Zach, I wanted to ask you, you know, we've talked a little bit about the Fed and how proactive they need to be or have been. You know, in this cycle, there was a lot of conversation. The Fed's behind the curve when they started raising rates. They didn't tighten fast enough to get ahead of inflation. How proactive do they need to be to get ahead of disinflation? 
or should they not be proactive? You know, if we considered the last hike in July of 23, what did the inflation data look like then? And where are we now? And, you know, where could we be in another six to 12 months? How does it, how does the Fed thread that needle? Yeah, I think that was a big thing that kept coming up in our meetings. Why does the Fed need to start cutting policy, especially when economic activity remains so buoyant really across a number of measures? And I think one of the points that we made, Winnie, that I think resonated pretty well is inflation has come down a lot from when the Fed was last hiking. So that end of July, if you look at the June print, maybe they would have had the July print, but you had core PCE running at around a 4.2 or 4.3% pace on a year-over-year basis. Now we're all the way down to to 2.9%, again, looking at that year-over-year. If you look at some of the more recent, either three-month or six-month annualized, we're back into the 1.5 to 2% range. And so I think there could be an argument made that with all the disinflation we've seen, the Fed could be behind the curve again in terms of starting to normalize policy. We haven't exactly been saying they're behind the curve, but we're saying you need to be more forward-looking or the Fed needs to be more forward-looking in terms of how it, it sets policy. And our base case is that the PCE deflator moves back into the low twos by the end of this year. If you think about the last print that we got for the core PCE deflator in December, that's about 2.9%, call it 70, 80 basis point move lower in the pace of inflation by the end of this year. If you cut the policy rate 100 basis points, you're only easing the real policy rate by 10 to 20 basis points. And so when thinking about does policy in real terms need to be incrementally tighter, not if our path of inflation is correct. And that's certainly gotten called into question a little bit. I think we're seeing the core good side, especially on the PCE deflator, that looks pretty good and is tracking the way we'd expect. I think some of these key services indicators, especially on the shelter side, the increase to 0.6% in the January data, that is running counter to what we'd expect looking at lag measures of the home price index, which has been typically a great leading indicator of what we see in the CPI shelter component. So data remain a little weird and you got to look through that. And I think, you know, being forward-looking, one of the ways Chairman Powell mentioned thinking about the real policy rate is just looking at forward-looking market expectations for inflation. The five-year, five-year forward break-even is around 2.25%. And so that's really what we're expecting in terms of where core PCE heads. And so using that measure as a way to deflate the nominal policy rate, we're even more restrictive than what it would look like just using the the latest core PCE print. So to your point, Winnie, I, I think The Fed has a lot of room to normalize policy and not end up anywhere near accommodative. Our call is they finished the year at 450 on the upper end of the Fed funds target range. I don't think anyone thinks that's neutral, let alone accommodative. And so when we talk about rate cuts with clients, a lot of people in their minds just have this base case. If they're cutting, the destination is zero and we're getting there quickly. And that's far from what we're expecting. And in one of the conversations we had Yesterday, one of the clients mentioned, you know, why can't we cut to 450 and just stay there? You know, the market's not priced for that. There are only a few cuts priced for 2025, but this mentality of a few cuts and then sticking in a three, four, I don't think quite as high as 5% range, but something in there, that's not an outcome that we've had, I think, since the mid 90s, but it's something to consider when thinking about asset performance going forward. 
Yeah. Uh, another interesting client tidbit was on the issuer side of things with issuers expecting the Fed to cut dramatically, you know, rates going back to zero, borrowing costs bottoming out again, like they did during COVID. And I find that fascinating that the instinct is just once the Fed starts cutting, they're going to cut massively. And maybe that's the market disappointment that ultimately unfolds. Like if we start to see the Fed cutting in 25 basis increments, not even at every meeting and, you know, a pattern of every other, every six months or something, is that where the market starts to realize that we are at these more elevated rates than certainly during COVID, but even during much of the post-GFC era. But at the same time, is 3% core inflation really that bad? That's another question that kept coming up is, you know, if we can have economic growth remain above what we thought was potential and inflation on the core side is holding in that two and a half to three percent area, is that something the Fed can live with? Is that something that we can tolerate? I mean, clearly from a credit fundamental perspective, that seems like a, a major win. I think that the big question is, you know, can you actually sustain above trend or trend like growth if you have core inflation in two and a half to three percent? Yeah, it's a great question. And I the question that we had gotten from clients is would they consider explicitly saying that as they did in August 2020, coming out with the flexible average inflation targeting regime. And I think from an inflation expectation perspective, they certainly won't say it out loud anywhere in the near term until we're comfortably at a level that they think is acceptable. And maybe it isn't 2% on the dot. I think you need to have a little bit of wiggle room if you want to avoid the policy error that people are so afraid of in terms of either incrementally tightening policy more in nominal or real terms or leaving it where it is for too long and, and just putting too much restriction on the economy. It's an interesting discussion to have at this point, especially when the base case consensus was a, a recession in 2023. And not only did we not get a recession, we got well above potential growth. And the real-time Atlanta Fed GDP now is, is still at 3.4% for the first quarter. And so I think a lot of pushback that we've gotten in terms of rate cut expectations is why do you need to cut rates if the economy is so strong? And I think it's all about being forward-looking and you know just looking back at these indicators that are, are all in the past is, is probably not the way to set policy when you're at an inflection point in the economy, or at least in, in inflation. And so I think, you know, one of the other things when, he, when we bring this all together, what are our key takeaways, what were clients most interested in? The other one was, okay, spreads are tight. I think we've had a, another fortunate call coming out with a constructive view in early October, looking for spreads to move to 100 basis points and in investment grade 350 in high yield. We're even through those at this point, at least by a couple basis points. How tight could we realistically go is, is the question. What do you think, Winnie? It's the, it's the credit market limbo. How low can you go with spreads? <laughs> we did that with yields in 2021. Now we're, we're moving on to the, the, the spread edition. So, you know, just looking back at history, we had a period of kind of credit market performance pre-GFC and post-GFC. And valuation ranges in those two different eras 
are very different. You know, we had the persistently low rates, low inflation post GFC. That meant that credit spreads were a much sig- more significant contributor to your all-in yield. And so you have, you know, local tights or recent tights that kind of came during the the height of the COVID pandemic and the Fed really stimulating the economy. Call it kind of low 300 basis point area for high yield and in kind of the mid 80s for investment grade. I think that it's probably not the right comp to look at in terms of how tight can spreads go for a few reasons. First is the all-in yield environment is much different. And at the same time, we've had a change in fundamentals that is generally for the better. You know, investment grade has a lot of duration, which is actually kind of a good thing at this point as you have that sticky long end demand. From a sector standpoint, you know, the the financials seem to be in pretty okay shape. Our analysts there are still fairly constructive, even with the most recent hiccup from New York Community Bank. And that does leave some potential for you know, some of the regional bank spreads to continue to recover from really widening. And so we also haven't had this material erosion of fundamentals that is consistent with the mid-cycle of, you know, the credit cycle where you have management teams really pushing leverage metrics higher for M&A, for share buybacks, for dividends. We haven't seen that to the same extent. We've seen it in, in some sectors, you know, Energy has definitely been active on the M&A front. Uh, We have some pharma deals, some healthcare deals that have come through, but they haven't been pushing leverage points quite as aggressively as they have historically. And then similarly in high yield, you haven't seen that that boom of LBO activity that was more consistent with kind of the pre-GFC high yield market. And so then if you kind of rewind and say, okay, when were we were when were we in a similar yield environment? That was all pre-GFC. High yield would trade, you know, at a low of 241 in June of 2007. Now it always in is unnerving to look at 2006, 2007 as your comp, right? Because we all know what happened in 2008, and it was not great for really any asset class under the sun. But when we're just thinking about the mix of yield, the mix of credit fundamentals, the technical picture of you know the balance between supply and demand, it is not off the table for spreads to crack through 300 and you know maybe move closer to the mid 200s. Now I will caveat that in the high yield market especially that a lot of that move would need to be driven by triple Cs. Triple Cs are still trading materially wide to single Bs and double Bs. And sometimes you get that artificial spread tightening from a default cycle as those distressed issuers move out of the index on, you know, whatever default catalyst is going to push them out. But the higher quality stuff in high yield is, you know, trading at pretty objectively tight levels by any measure at this point. Doesn't mean that they can't necessarily go tighter, but definitely something to keep in mind. Investment grade, the kind of the the pre-GFC tight was around 79 basis points. So, you know, we're less than 20 basis points away 
using the BAML ice indices and, and yesterday's close of 97. You know, if we move to 79 or, or 80 basis points in IG and treasury yields are still in the low kind of fours, you still have a, a yield to worst of high, uh, above 5%, which I think most people would feel pretty good about. So I don't know. Should we make this our new our new base case forecast, Zach? IG's going to 80, high yields going to 275. It feels very uncomfortable. Like, you know, you had one client say, I feel like I should be shorting something, but I don't know what. It seems like credit risk is what you would want to be shorting in this environment. If you're if your upside in IG is another 20 basis points of tightening and your upside in high yield is another 25 to 50 basis of point, basis points of tightening, but your downside is 50 to 500 basis points of widening, that that risk feels a little lopsided to me. Yeah, I think that's an important way to think about it is sort of probability weighting your outcomes and just thinking about what's realistic to the downside. I think that's kind of helpful framing up the historical discussion, where spreads are, how the the yield environment has changed and how investors are really thinking about credit more so from a yield perspective. I feel like every time we come up with this spread discussion, how tight they are with buy side clients, it's like, yeah, but your yield is still very strong. And so in that discussion of what should you short or how does this bear scenario play out, it's been tough to pinpoint. I think one of the things that's still out there and this is counter to our bank's team base case is just further stress on the regional banks. Does that cause the provision of credit to the real economy to, to tighten a lot further? And surprisingly, we really didn't see that following the March 2023 issues with regional banks, there was more of a continuation of a tightening of lending standards. And so when being asked, you know, what do you short? How do you get this big downside scenario in terms of financial markets or the economy? It feels like there's still too much cash out there for an extreme downside. Even if you were to see some pressure in various asset classes, it seems like there's still enough buffer out there to to tolerate it. And so how do you trade it from these, you know, super tight levels? I, I think the one thing that has become more prominent to us over the past week is if you're really relying on a technical tailwind of cash coming out of the front end for that next move tighter in spreads, if the Fed is not delivering rate cuts as quickly as even the market anticipates now, which is much more tempered than it was even a few weeks ago, then I think you start to wonder, okay, maybe that cash isn't coming out of the front end. And the reason you'd be wondering that is because the Fed's not moving at all. So now it's, is the Fed cutting in 2024 at all? Can the market withstand rates at these levels? Is inflation coming down? And for now, you know, our, obviously our base case is inflation does come down, the Fed does start to normalize. And you have credit fundamentals that are, are solid. I think if we get in this mindset of, of rates aren't going anywhere for a while, concerns around fundamentals, borrowing costs much higher for longer start to become more pervasive. And this notion of survive until 25, at least from a high yield perspective, maybe isn't as helpful. And you're not going to get the relief of yields going down, borrowing costs coming down this year and, and even more so in 2025. And so it feel like that's going to take some time to play out or for us to to realize that that's going to be the case. But you've had treasury yields drift up quite a bit. And 
it feels like something's got to give from an, an equities and credit spreads perspective, but naming a, a catalyst over the next week or month, that feels hard to do. What do you think, Winnie? Are there any catalysts that I'm not thinking of that are on your radar that could kind of... I think that a lot of people have been willing to look at the January data and say, it's January. January's weird. You know, there's seasonality that cannot be fully accounted for. And I'm wondering if that is why some market segments like equities are willing to look through it a little bit more. Earnings have been fine, except for some of the more problem child sectors that remain problem children. You know, high high yield media and telco. Our real estate analyst, Mary Pollock, just posted on Euro real estate earnings, and they've been a little bit disappointing, especially on the office side of things. So saying that everything is fine because central banks are going to start cutting at some point in 2024. While you're seeing some of these pressures remain front and center, it just makes me think that we need to have a little bit of a re-rack in the risk appetite right now. And, you know, we came out with our recommendation for tactical caution at the end of January. Spreads had hit our year-end targets. And our inclination was that Treasury yields might start to surprise to the upside and, you know, expecting a little bit more hawkish messaging from the Fed at its meeting. And, you know, Fed officials post that. Those things have been realized and spreads have been rock solid. And this is, it's just giving me this groundhog day of the beginning of 2023 with a strong start to January data, everyone talking about the soft no landing, and then regional banks had their issues in March. I'm not calling for regional bank crisis 2.0 for a 2024 edition, but there's always something that drives spreads wider. We do think that they're going to track a tighter range this year, as it seems like we are still closer to Fed rate cuts than having hikes be back on the table. But I do think that from a, an, a credit risk perspective, there's going to be a little bit of a better opportunity sometime in the next, you know, call it four to six weeks. I don't know that for certain, but it seems like as we kind of put together the balance of everything that has happened so far this year, everything that is being currently priced into the market, spreads will likely see a, a little bit of a revaluation. Well, I think that's a great place to wrap it up. I mean, yeah, probably. We see opportunities ahead if, if mm -hmm. we get some spread widening, depending on the catalysts. Yeah. Could be a great opportunity to, to pick up from these tight levels. We're still in the tactically cautious camp for now. I feel like we've gotten the treasury yield move we anticipated, haven't really seen it in spreads yet. Could maybe start to see that drift as we contemplate just exactly what happens with Fed policy from here. It seems like the rates market has repriced the rest of the market maybe a little bit behind. Absolutely. So rest of the market, a little bit behind the rates market. And how long can that last? Thank you, Zach, for joining me for hopping on at the end of a pretty busy week. I know that we will uh, continue to have some busy weeks in the near future, giving all the moving pieces. Thanks, everyone, for listening. If you have any follow-up questions for me or Zach, you can always find us on creditsites.com using the Ask an Analyst function. Good luck to everyone in the coming weeks. 
Credit sites disclaimer. All price references correspond to the date of this recording. This podcast should not be copied, distributed, or reproduced in whole or in part. Neither credit sites nor its affiliates makes any representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of any information contained in this podcast. Credit sites is not providing investment, legal, accounting, or tax advice, is not providing research or making any recommendations, nor is credit sites offering or soliciting any transaction with respect to the purchase or sale of any security. The receipt by this listener of this podcast is not the giving of advice by credit sites or its affiliates. Thank you.